the Lord. Thank you, Lord. We declare it today. Overcomers in your name. Praise the Lord. Please be seated. Very exciting. Great atmosphere. Thank you, musicians. Great atmosphere. Lots of things happening. Great things. Going to hear about a few things happening. Got a team out over in Napier at the moment, and uh, they're doing this relay for life. I got a little text saying that they were sixth, I think, in the relay. So uh, that's quite good to hear. They all have to dress up. Oh, and I thought you were going to dress up in an ABBA outfit. Can you do it tonight? All right. Everyone was dressing up. They had it's wonderful raising money for uh, for children in need. Fantastic. And listen, why don't we just put the slide up here? We are aware we just talked to the church a little while ago about uh, we want to, uh, because we're growing and because it's a uh, challenge in finding parking and a challenge just seating everyone, we want to look at making the service, dividing the service up, having two services on a Sunday morning. That'll be four altogether on the weekend. So we have an Indian service at about six o'clock. We have a worship service and a time of moving in the spirit on Sunday nights. Sunday morning, we have this family service. We want to break it up and have two family services. And so we have a survey form in here. And what we'd like is for you to just take a moment or so to fill the survey form in. And we just want just a little bit of details or information. And what we particularly want to know is whether... Uh, which one of the two services that we're proposing you would be willing to come to or interested in coming to. So we want to find, before we start the services, I want to get an idea of how many people we would have in each service. So we'll do this over two or three Sundays, and uh, this is the first Sunday we're doing it. So if you've you got a pen, if you haven't borrowed one off someone near to you, and just while I talk for you for a moment, just uh, drop it in. Now, in running two services, there are a number of things about it. Number one, this is the time for every one of us to be believing to bring friends to church. This is a time for stretching out for our friends to get saved, people to be one to Christ. So we want over the next few weeks, every one of us to be praying, believing, expecting for friends we know to respond to an invitation to come. Uh, then we want to prepare for running two services. Now, what we've got is a few slides up here we're going to put uh, to give you an idea how, what it takes to make a service run. So if we take, run two services, we'll need twice as much. So first of all, uh, we're going to look just at the Sunday service teams, the worship team. We have six in the band, four, seven singers, two on sound. That's a 15 just in that part of the, just in that team, and we need more. So if you're uh, able to sing, uh, if you're able to, uh, or technically inclined, uh, or if you have a musical instrument, especially a saxophone or a violin or a trumpet or, well, well, you know, well, I like the brass sound. Anyway, if you've got a musical instrument, why don't you present yourself to Kate and let it be known, I'd like to be part of the worship team. Uh, we also have a technical team. Uh, you don't see them unless something goes wrong, but there's a technical team up here. See them over there on the cameras. So we have three on cameras. We have three on AV. There they are. There, see, smiling there. Turn your head around. Wave. There they are. Three up there, smiling. They make the sound, the, the letters come up, the wording come up, and the uh, various other things. And then we have someone on lights. There he is, up on there on lights. There we are, the light man. So uh, we need people who can run lights. Now, with these things, training's provided. So you don't need to be very technical. You just need to be willing to just get up and have a go. And uh, then also we have uh, kids' activities. We want to run a kids' service in both me meetings. So the kids' team... They have the very young ones. There's six people needed there. The King's kids, five people. Impact kids, 12, a total of 23. You can see there's a whole number of people are busy every Sunday. And so they're out there serving you while you're here. 
after your family. You've got people out there who are looking after your children. It'd be great if you could just be involved as well. Then uh, we have the youth. We have four involved with the youth. They have a teaching time of their own, so we need people to help with the youth area. There they are there, happy-looking bunched. Balloons. We need balloons in the main service, don't we? I like balloons. I like balloons. They're good to have balloons. Heaps of them. And uh, Sunday service team, we also the cafe. We need people to work in the cafe. There's six in the cafe, the shop. There's two work in the shop. Uh, if you're able to be involved there, why don't you put your name down? If you don't know how to make coffee, ha-ha, they'll teach you how to make coffee. And uh, then you can make a decent one. You can buy your own machine. It'd be wonderful. And uh, then we also have service teams. And for the service teams, there's 14 on the service teams, two on security, seven in the car park, and those who connect with visitors, five. There's 28 there. And then we have a service pastor and a service manager. So the total number that makes one Sunday service operate is 87 people. Amazing, isn't it, eh? I never thought until I sat down, 87 people make one service go. So uh, we have a lot more people doing things than you have. So there's people right now out the back, up top, out the back out there with the children, with the youth, and you don't see them because they're serving. And if we had more people involved in doing that, then everyone's on less time. So I want you to consider, uh, if you have not put your name down or would like to be involved in one of these teams, why don't you just uh, fill in the form, tick off what you'd like to have a go at, and uh, then we'll get a, someone will contact you, you get to know the team, and uh, get involved. It'd be great. You know, where, I, where did I start? I started, I started playing the accordion, doing music in a, sm- in a small group. That's where I started. And then when I said, then I was next, I was on the door, and uh, then I was in the old folks' outreach team. And so we used to go down to the old folks' home and do old folks' outreach, and they'd wheel them out. They didn't understand what I was saying, but that was probably quite good in those days. And uh, however, it was a great chance to practice. And then when we'd done our part and played music and sang songs and prayed for them all, they all go back. You've got to start somewhere. And so uh, this is about having a chance to be part of the church family and, and doing your part. So why don't you write something down, just pass them on the end of the row now, into the center, end of the rows, and we'll take them all up. Now listen, while you're doing that, we've got a couple of great, great news. First of all, Lynn, Lynn uh, was up with the prison team, and the most amazing things happened, never happened before. Come tell us, Lynn. Morning, church. (laughs) First of all, I just want to honor the ministry team that goes out to the prison, because it starts from there. But uh, my son-in-law, Bill Deber, um, works in the prison. He's a prison officer, and he's been um, making room or getting permission for a room to take a cell group or a growth group out there with 12 men. So that's been very exciting. Also, prayer meetings through the week. So the prison uh, has been just giving more and more room for this sort of thing. I said to Bill, you know, they've got to a certain stage. I said, you know, they need to be baptised, these men. He said, will you come and do it? I said, oh, Sure. I said, well, I'll buy the pool. You get permission. So he went straight to the top. This is all very unusual. And I went and bought the pool on faith. And uh, within two days, we had permission to go in that Saturday morning. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. I love suddenlies. I just love suddenlies. And so we took Sue Pierce, and she's a worship leader. And uh, she was just amazing. And Bill was there waiting. And all these men filed in, and they sat down in chairs, and we met them, and it was just so easy. Two nights before, uh, I felt the Lord speak to me, and then I spoke to Pastor Mike. They said, um, the Lord was saying to me, I want you to deliver them of the generation of cultic uh, curses. And I thought, oh, help in the prison. 
So I took to Pastor Mike and he carries it, go the full way. And Bill said, help if there's manifestations, you know, the guards will come in and close us down. But we went ahead. We had the most wonderful worship. They cried, their hands were in the air, the cameras were on us. And then we went into the baptism and as they came out of the waters, um, I, I taught them first on curses and the generational curses, familiar spirits. And they all took it in. They all wanted to follow in the prayer. And then we went through the waters of baptism. As they came out, I delivered them. God covered the manifestations. Afterwards, they all stood out in the rain, and Bill and I went round, and we just prayed into their hearts and prayed healing into them. And these guys just broke. They were in our arms, and they were just absolutely broken and crying. It was an absolute beautiful time. But I just want to encourage you, be ready for the suddenlies, because I am. You know, we're going to step out in this sort of thing. That's the first time that's ever been done in the prison, as far as we're aware. So it's a breakthrough. It's wonderful. Thank you, Lynn, and thank you for Wendy for going every week and making room in there and prayer and ministering to people. It's wonderful. So thank you, team. That's great. Yes, we had another team went out into the community. So Sajan and uh, and uh, Cecilia, why don't you come on up here and come and tell us quickly about it? The prophetic evangelism in the community. Well, what another awesome time we had yesterday. This was the second time at the International Cultural Festival Day. Uh, We did that first last year, and uh, the one thing that we noticed was just the tremendous openness of people, their hunger, their, uh, their receptivity. You know, the harvest is truly right at this time, and we saw many, many people touched. People were in tears. Um, just we're just gathering in the testimonies now, but it was just such an awesome time. You know, one one lady that uh, two ladies that we were working with said to me afterwards. She said, "You know, I've been stressed all week, and we come into this tent, and it's so relaxing and calming." <laughs> <laughs> and I said to her, "That's the presence of God," <laughs> and it was just wonderful. It was beautiful to see. You know, God touching people's hearts and ministering to them through the prophetic, through words of knowledge. And we prayed for most of them that came in. Many of them um, received the gospel. It was just awesome. But I'll let Sergeant tell you more. This year, it was very different from what happened last year. Last year, we had a lot of people come through just for the sake of it. But this time, the people who came, they were hungry and they were ready for the harvest. They were just, their hearts were ready to receive the gospel. Um, You know, we remember particular cases where, I remember a particular case where two ladies came and they were actually mocking, you know, even as they came. They sat with me, they were just chatting with me. And, you know, they were just mocking. So you guys think you have a word from God for me, you know, that kind of thing. And as soon as one of the teams was free, you know, I set them up with them. And then, you know, I, I kept watching them. And from mocking, they went to crying and weeping. And, and, you know, you could just see the transformation take place in their faces. And as time went on, you know, then there was rejoicing. You could see, you know, them going from total mocking to despair to, you know, joy. And, you know, and as they went out, they were sheepishly looking at me because they had mocked me. (laughs) Come on, that's fantastic. Another very interesting thing was we had people who had come to our tent last year. They came looking for us. They said last year we had come here and we had received something. So we were looking for you guys. You know, we, they, they went through because we were a bit on the side. So they couldn't find us. And then, you know, they, somehow or the other they would hear about the tent. Pastor Joy sent a couple of them. And, you know, they just came. They just came. They came looking for the word from God. They just wanted to hear what God had to say to them. 
you know we the most amazing thing was you know to see the the the, the change that comes on their face when god gives us a word and they would go oh how do you know that and uh. oh and oh you know it just went on becoming bigger and bigger just absolute awesome time we i believe you know we had more salvations this year than we had in the, in the last year's team wonderful we had a beautiful team out there they just you know they just went after it last thing we had we had organized for about 20 chairs so we had sitting arrangement for 20 people and there were times when people of members of our team were squatting on the floor so that they could have a place that meant you know there were more than 20 people in the tent at that point of time wow wonderful come on that's fantastic isn't it give a lot of clap whoa that's great great news they're great to hear these things happening i love it God bless. Who was the team? The team here? Who, who was out there? You, just put your hands up, give us a wave. Come on, let's give them a clap for going out and giving it a go. I just got an email from Mike or a note from Mike, and uh, he's been able to set up a prayer meeting in his workplace. The first time that's been done, and uh, he's got some guys wanting to come together and pray uh, to change the atmosphere in the workplace. Wow. Imagine if we had that all over the city. Every workplace is people standing together in prayer to change the spiritual atmosphere, get rid of the demons, and bring the presence of God. Imagine what work would take place. Imagine what would happen in workplaces. It'd be tremendous, wouldn't it, eh? Okay, then let's just open our Bible. I want to just uh, start on another short series. Uh, this year we're looking at uh, what it means to be apostolic. But uh, what I want to do at this point is I want to just address an issue which is a big one in New Zealand called the blame game. The blame game. I'm sure you have played it. And uh, it goes like this. It's not my fault. Can't blame me for that. It's not my fault. And uh, we have a culture, you know, we live in a culture which is a culture of blame. I don't think you're aware of it. When you live in a culture of blame, you start to think and act and behave and do what everyone else does. So when there's a culture uh, which one of the aspects of culture is people blame one another, we then turn to get in and buy in and do the same kind of thing. So when people blame someone else, they kind of feel a bit better. Oh, not my fault, it's you. You. And, uh, you know, it was what you did. Uh, but the problem is that when you blame someone else, you remain powerless to change your situation. And God is wanting us to become empowered as people and believers. If you're going to be empowered as a believer and begin to move in dimensions of faith, you have to be relentless in addressing any uh, habits you have of passing the buck or blaming someone else. To walk in faith will require that we take responsibility. So I want to push in on this area of the blame game so we begin to understand what it looks like, sounds like, so that we can deal with it. There was an interesting thing in the United States recently. Two very overweight women sued McDonald's. They sued McDonald's for not warning them of the dangers of their food causing them to put on weight and creating physically attractive and psychologically addictive food. And so their condition of being overweight was McDonald's fault. Fortunately, the judge saw through that and threw the case out. But what on earth is going through people's minds that they think you can blame someone else for their weight? It's, it's about a way of thinking, a blaming way of thinking. 
And you're going to find, as we open this up over a couple of weeks, you're going to start to find it everywhere. You know, like, and, and it, it comes up in such subtle ways. But at the core of it is something like this. Instead of taking ownership of the problem and doing something about it, people blame someone else or something else. Eh? Oh, well, you know, the reason I'm not married is not enough Christian men in the church. Whoop! What did they just blame? You blame the church. Oh, too bad you'll stay single the rest of your life then. Because you've assigned responsibility outside yourself. You put the blame for your single condition outside yourself, somewhere else. Oh, that's got a bit, that was a bit close. I shouldn't have started that deep so quick, should I? That's a bit nasty, wasn't it? <laughs> Oh, well, well, I've got really difficult times financially. You know, you know, the, you know the nation's going through a bad time. Boom, boom, blame. Is God my source or not? Where am I putting the blame? Where I put the blame is where I put the responsibility. And when I put the responsibility out there, I'm left unable to do anything except be powerless, resentful, and talk negatively about how bad it is. So if we don't relentlessly deal with the blame game, we will find on the one hand we think we're trying to move in faith, on the other hand we're actually continuing all patterns of unbelief and irresponsibility. See? And, and it's everywhere. It is everywhere. See? It is everywhere. So normally people blame. So you ask people, well, what's your problem? I tell you where the problem is. Well, how come that problem is? Oh, well, it was my father. Oh, it was, it was my mother. She abandoned us. Yeah, well, heaps of mothers have done that, but it doesn't mean to say you end up with a mess. You've got to make a choice how you respond to that bad deal. You have to learn to play the cards you're dealt, not wish you got a different hand. God knows how we're going to come into this world, knows what we're going to experience, and he's promised to help us if we will stop blaming and step up and begin to think creatively what to do. If we're going to be faith people... We have to think creatively about the problems of life. And I want to get out of blaming and into some other kind of thing. So people have got all kinds of reasons why they're like they are. Well, it was my teachers. You don't understand that first year at school. Oh, well, I was in high school. Listen, I am hearing blame. You're putting the problem on someone else. Maybe they did contribute to it. Maybe they did some very bad things. But at the end, if you don't stop blaming, you remain powerless and helpless and you remain a victim of what happened. We have to make decisions what we'll do about the hand we've been dealt by life. Another one, okay? People blame the government or they blame the church. You don't understand that last church I was in. Well, the pastor or the leader or that. I'm hearing blame. Because you're ascribing the reason you're like you are to someone else or something else. You have to recognize the reason you are the way you are is because of the choices you've made. And if you made bad ones, you can make better ones. And even better ones. Huh? So we blame everyone. So we blame our background. Well, if you don't understand my background, I never had the education. Whoops, blame. There's heaps of people succeed in life without education. Come on, you've got to think this one through. 
And you, you'd be amazed. Well, I had some bad experiences. I was abused. There are a lot of people in life are abused. It's a terrible thing. Incredibly, incredibly wounding and hurtful. But that does not determine your future, how you respond does. It's not what happened to you. It's how you chose to respond is the key. And uh, so sometimes, well, my lack of my lack of opportunity. I didn't have opportunity. And listen, everyone's got opportunities. What did you do with the ones you've got? So you find in our culture, and I want you to listen for it this week. As people talk, I want you to listen for the sound of someone who is losing, blaming someone else. They will blame a person or they will blame circumstances. Oh, how come you were late here? Oh, well, you understand the traffic. Yeah, you're blaming something else. And so it goes on. You find everywhere in life people want to blame. So we want to get into this whole thing of the blame game. Let's have a look. First of all, see how God designed us. Genesis 1, 26 to 28. God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let them have dominion. Verse 28, God blessed them, said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, and have dominion. So we are designed for dominion. Here's one of the greatest gifts God gave you. He gave you a will, an ability to make choices. You choose what you do with your life. He gave you a free will to make choices, creative choices. So you have desires in your heart, and you will choose whether you are creative in fulfilling the desires or not. And uh, with the uh, capacity of free will choice, we have consequences. God said you can eat all of that fruit, and that'll be fine. But you eat that one, you've got problems. So God gave us the ability to make decisions the ability and right to be free in choosing what we do, but consequences, we have no control over them. They're what happen after you've made your decision. So God has given us two things. One is He's given us a free will to make choices. Two, He's given us a creative ability He expects us to use to solve problems. Notice what He said to Adam and Eve, subdue, have dominion. That meant there were some things out there that were not right that had to be overcome. And they had to face the problems that were outside them and creatively think how to deal with them. And that's what God expects of us all the time. We can pray to God, and we do. We can ask God's grace and help, and we do. But there's a part He expects us to play. For example, in Genesis 2.19, God had created all the animals. That was His part. Then he brought all the animals to Adam, and he said to Adam, here you go, Adam, I've created you for dominion, so go give them all a name. Mm, I'll call that one an elephant. And so he went and he, now that's not an easy task to think up a creative name for all the animals. Imagine if he had to go here and give everyone here a name. Mm. But all the animals, it's a big challenge. Now, Adam could have responded one of two ways. He could have thought through and been creative in solving the problem. Or he could have said, well, that's not fair. You haven't given me a list of names to choose from. And how do you, so this is unreasonable to expect me to do all of this. He could have done that. He didn't do that though. But we do that. Well, that's not fair. You, you, how can you expect me to do all this? Well, God's given you a free will and, a, and an ability to be creative. He expects you to kind of generate a few ideas on the way, you know. To think through what you can do. Instead of blaming the culture, blaming the people, blaming the government, blaming white people, blaming black people, blaming this person, that person, Asian. I mean, people blame. And blaming leaves you powerless. See? So God expects us then to 
be creative in finding solutions. And he will help us be creative in finding solutions. He expects us to take action, to do some things. So faith always has got action to it. Now, where did the blame game start? Well, over here, fortunately, it tells us how it started. Adam and Eve were given a great opportunity, and God said, eat all of this, don't eat that one. You eat all of this, you live. You eat that one there, you die. Really quite simple. And herein is a way that you train children. You show them what they can do. You show them what they can't do. And if they do this, this is all the benefits. And if they do that, that's the consequences. That's how you train, that's how you train them. Now, here's the issue. When they break the laws, you've got to have consequences because that's how people learn. It's what God's way of doing it. In the preschool, they have this thing, was that a good choice or was that a bad choice? And little ones will say, I don't want you to ask me that. Because they're forced to decide whether their choices were good or bad. And if they were bad, then consequences will follow. We, most people in the blame game want to make bad choices but not have the consequences. So I'll make bad decisions about money. You've got to help me out. No, no, no. You need the pain of the consequences so you learn about managing money. And when we bail everyone out all the time, what happens is they never learn the lessons. Isn't that true? How many of you have helped someone out? You help them, help them, help them. They never change. Because they're in a victim mode, the responsibility for their getting the release is put in someone else's hands, and you'll just keep helping them and helping them and helping them until you get sick of helping them because you saw no change. What you better to do is actually initially give the help to lift the burden, but then begin to talk about being responsible. So if we have people in trouble financially, we're quite happy to help. However, it requires they submit to budget advice. Why? Because that's part of the consequences of goofing it up. You've got to then manage it better, and someone's got to help you manage it better. Does that make sense? Now, this is really good stuff, isn't it? Because this really hits at the core of what's going on in our society. And Now, notice what happened here. Adam uh, and Eve both ate the fruit of the tree. And then this is what happened. They said, the Lord God called Adam and said, where are you? And he said, well, I heard your voice in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. So we ran, they both ran away. And he said, who told you you were naked? Did you eat the fruit of the tree I commanded you not to eat from? Now, here it is, classic. Here's where the blame game started, verse 12. And the man said, well, speak to the hand. Listen, whose idea was it about woman anyway? And who was the one talking to the snake? Hey, it's not my problem. The woman, notice he said, the woman you gave me. So basically, he's, he's now not wanting to be responsible for his failure. And of course, men have a, an acute vulnerability to do this. Is that right, woman? Oh, they're not saying that because I'll get into trouble if I say that one. It's true. It's very true. So Adam blamed Eve, and then Eve said, well, don't look at me. It's that blooming snake. If you hadn't made snakes. I mean, whose idea was it to make it? I don't like snakes. Why did you make snakes? You'd understand that here's what the problem is. They have actually made a bad choice, and now they're blaming someone else for their actions, transferring responsibility. Imagine if they had assumed responsibility and said, 
Lord, I really blew it. I got it wrong. I'm so sorry. Will you forgive me? Now, imagine if they'd said that. What a dilemma God would be in. He'd have to forgive them, wouldn't he? Give them a fresh start because he's a forgiving God. But because they blamed, they were rendered powerless and had to experience consequences. So notice what happens in here. Uh, they blame. So why do people blame? We want to divert the attention away from what we've done. So the heat was on Adam. He's feeling a bit embarrassed. And so what he does, he says, let's get the attention, haha, away from me onto her. And so blame is about getting the attention away from me onto someone else. Because I don't have to, I don't want to take responsibility for my mistakes and failures. So I will blame someone else. That's what it's all about. It's diverting attention. And people, uh, then what happens is when you blame someone, it diverts attention and you avoid your responsibility and you become powerless. So you're going to end up with some consequences. Now notice this, that both Adam and Eve, after God spoken to them, when they started blaming, he stopped talking. When Adam blamed Eve and, the, and, and, uh, and, and God for what he'd done, God stopped talking to him. Next time God spoke to him and said, here's the consequences. You broke the law, this is what will happen. Didn't I tell you that? Did I tell you that? And you chose that? Then you chose, when you chose that, you also unleashed a certain consequence into your life, and I'm not going to spare that for you. I will come to you in the consequence and help you, but I'm not going to spare you the consequence of the decision. That's how God operates. If you're going to help people, you have to think the same way. Think the way God thinks. Don't buy into the blame game. And so God held them accountable for their behavior. See, so when people, people tend to blame someone else so they can divert attention and not be responsible. Have you ever done that? Have you ever done that? Wow, the silence says it all, doesn't it? And of course, we've all done it. We've all bought into it. We found someone to blame. And, and this is an issue. It's a major. And let's have a look at another guy. And uh, you've got to realize this. Well, it's not my fault. And that's kind of like in our mind. Well, it's not my fault. Anyone said that? Well, not my fault. Don't blame me. Not my, well, it's not my fault. Well, not my fault. It's my dad's. You know? It's the pastor's. It's the church. It's the government. It's not my fault. You just can't blame me. It's nothing to do with me. Except it's my problem, and if I don't do something, I'll never solve it. That's the, that's, that's the dilemma with blaming. Okay, let's have a look at another guy here in 1 Samuel chapter 15. This is a classic one of a guy who said, well, it's not my fault. Don't blame me. But like everyone else in the Bible, he received consequences of making bad choices. Now, I'm wanting you, as we just do this, is to just to be thinking and be reflecting as to how often you would, in some way or another, say, well, it's not my fault or blame someone else rather than actually face the problem, take responsibility, and be creative to solve it. Remember this, every time you blame someone else, you render yourself unable to do anything, you become powerless, even if they were responsible. So suppose, for example, uh, a father was very abusive, alcoholic, and, and there was a messy thing all through the family life, and, and the child was beaten up, got all kinds of problems. So here, here he is later in life, standing up with all these issues now in his own marriage and all these problems in his own family. Now, if he blames his father for it all, he now actually becomes the victim of what's happened. He becomes helpless and powerless, 
And then all he can say is, it's not my fault that I'm such a mess. Yeah, well, that's why your wife left you. Because you wouldn't take responsibility and you blamed it somewhere else. Yes, there may be an abuser background and you may deeply been hurt. However, this is your life and God gave you this life. It's your responsibility to actually own your life and be creative in making decisions how to make it succeed. Not blame someone else. Oh, well, we're going to blame the economy. Now, notice what happens here. In this story, in verse 1, Samuel said to Saul, the Lord has sent me to anoint you king over his people and over Israel. Now listen to the voice of the words of the Lord. I want to punish Amalek for what he did to Israel a long time ago. So God never forgets. He ambushed Israel on the way he came up from Egypt. Now this is hundreds and hundreds of years later, and God says, I'm, I'm going to settle the score now. now. I want you to go and attack Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have. Spare nothing. Okay, verse 9, but Saul and the people spared Agag, the king, spared the best of the sheep, the best of the ox, fatlings, lambs, everything was good, and were unwilling, notice this, unwilling to utterly destroy them, but everything that was despised and worthless, that's what they destroyed. So notice now, he's got a very clear mandate, and Samuel puts it to him in a certain way. He says, the Lord sent me to anoint you. I have God has positioned you as a king to represent him. Now just stop there for a moment. God had given Saul the role. God expected Saul to carry out his will. Now, how many know and understand that God calls every one of us priests and kings? And that he anoints us with his Holy Spirit. And he has commissioned the church, every believer, to go into the community to make disciples of nations. He's called every one of us to enter the community as a king, as someone authorized from heaven to represent him, to move supernaturally in miracles, signs, and wonders, and the power of God. He's called us to do that. It's not like an option. So like Saul, Saul had a particular miss, a mission. He was sent and given an assignment in the community. But God is giving assignments to every believer now. Now, I want you to see what happened. Saul had a look at what he was called to do, and he made a decision. Well, look, I don't want to get rid of all of that stuff there. I get, this looks good to me. I'll make some money here and there and there. So they just changed the plan. Changed God's plan. But he's not allowed to change God's plan. He's going to have consequences for changing God's plan. And the church has been given a mandate, a plan from God, and it can't change God's plan. If, you change, if the church changes the plan of God, we're in deep trouble. Because we're not here for ourselves. We're here to love Him, worship Him, represent Him. And if God is saying to the church worldwide certain things about global mission and about reaching community and about releasing the power of God, we can't change the plan. If we change the plan, we're like Saul. Well, I'll, I'll pick and choose the bits I agree with. I'll just pick the bit I like and the bit I don't like, I'll leave that bit out. That's what's happening in the church in the West. Picks out the bits it likes and leaves all the other stuff out. 
And God's saying, I want the church to move in power. I want you to move and pray for the sick and cast out devils and minister to people. I want you to witness. I want you to enter the community and change the culture. And you have to arise. There's a particular challenge is involved in this. And so this is what, so Saul did this. So anyway, he changed the plan. And then now notice this, Samuel went to Saul and Saul said to him, bless be you of the Lord. I'm so glad to see you. I have done what God wanted me to do. He was so happy. Like so many Christians come to church on Sunday. Well, bless the Lord. I've done what the Lord wanted. Really? And Samuel asked a very pertinent question. How come I can hear sheep bleating? <laughs> ah. Let, wait a minute. Let's go back to the original plan. Wasn't the original plan that everything was killed? Uh, 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 how come I hear bleating? Mah, 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 mah. I hear all the animals. He drew his attention to the fact that there's some noise there. There's some bleating going on. I wonder if Samuel was here now with you. Talk to many of the Christians and say, I hear a lot of bleating. <laughs> well, the things we didn't do, they're all bleating. So this is what he said. Notice the first thing he said. He was in total denial. I've done what God said. Verse 20, I've obeyed the Lord. I've done what it, now you notice, notice this. He's in total denial about the fact, actually, he didn't do what God wanted him to do. But he come along and he say, bless the Lord. I want to praise the Lord now. I've done what God wanted me to do. This is the condition of so many Christians. But he's in denial. He's not facing. He didn't do what he's supposed to do. A husband says, love your, you know, God says to the husbands, love your wives. Marriage isn't a problem. Did you love your wife? Probably not. I hear bleating, the bleating of your wife. Why don't you do what God said to do? Oh, not my fault. You don't understand what kind of woman she is. Oh, really? Bleating, I hear bleating. See? It's it. So notice, notice what he said, verse, verse 15. Now he, he passes the blame and excuses himself. Hey, listen, don't talk to me. The people, they bought them from their mallet. It's the people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen. So now he's, he's, coming to, he's coming to ways of excusing. So first he denies that there's a problem. When faced with the issue and reality, he carries on that there was no problem whatsoever. He ignores it. Then when he says, what about the bleeding of the sheep? Well, he, he then he excuses it. Well, listen, hey, yeah, I realize there's a problem here. There's sheep here. But don't look at me. It was the people. Hello, aren't you the leader? Oh, yeah, but it was the people. They did it. See him passing the blame, excusing himself, taking no response. You know, what he was really saying was, well, yes, but you can't blame me because it's them. It's amazing, isn't it? It's a very powerful story, this one. And then he, he minimizes it. Well, you know, we did, we did actually get rid of the bad stuff. Um, well, we really got rid of the bad stuff. Now, listen, Samuel, now listen, don't you hit on me now. We got rid of the bad stuff. Now, he's trying to minimize the issue. He's trying to make it smaller than it is. But he had a clear command. He just didn't do it. He just chose what bits he'd do, and the rest he didn't do. First, he denies it. Second, he tries to minimize it. Third, he blames someone else. And then finally, he tries to reason out. Get this. This is the best of all. He spiritualizes it. Wow. Of course, we bought these sheep and ox, uh, oxen so we could give them to the Lord. What a fob off. He's trying to fob off a prophet of God. 
He's trying to use every kind of defensive way possible to do one thing. He blew it. He wouldn't own up. And that's what people do. They blame someone else, minimize it, deny, pretend it isn't there, try and spiritualize it, all kinds of things. This didn't do the right thing, and they won't own it. Now, here's the problem is, if you don't own it, then you are in a problem. Defensiveness is a major way of avoiding responsibility and blame shifting. And if you are a defensive kind of person for whatever reason, when faced with failure, difficulty, challenge, setbacks, if you become defensive, you are not taking responsibility you are acting like a victim, and you're playing the blame game. And we have to get out of that. We have to make decisions to get out of that, to be able to be what God called us to be. So notice this, that he experienced the consequences. The consequences were he lost his right to rule. Now, let's just stop there a moment. We're trying to get it out of the Old Testament and into today. So let's have a think about it. God calls you and me, children of the Father, we're children of God, we are kings. What does that mean? We're anointed kings. That means we have the baptism of the Holy Spirit, we have the anointing of the Holy Spirit, we are able to go into the community and through prayer and faith influence the outcomes of what's happening. We're able to go into workplaces and shift spiritual atmospheres. We're able to pray for the sick. We're able to see breakthroughs and miracles take place. And we have a mandate, a command to go and to reach out to people to win them to Jesus Christ. That is the plan. That is the mandate. It was not a suggestion. It is the plan. And so we have to be prepared for the plan. But part of being prepared is I have embraced this is the plan. Now, what happens today is... If we personally will not take responsibility for our own lives and for fulfilling the commission God gives us, we lose our ability to be able to do it. And when you lose your ability to be able to do it, you become oppressed and you become so like the culture, you can't change it because there's no anointing and no empowerment of God around your life anymore. Anointings are always to get the job done. So if we don't own the responsibility and set out to do the job, we don't get the empowerment we need to do it. And so we blame someone else. Well, you don't understand my workplace so hard. Listen, every workplace is the same. You've just got to make a decision. So here it is then. So let's get out of the, it's not my fault, it's someone else's fault. And let's get into the thinking, I've got choices. You always have a choice. Now you say, well, it's really hard. Yeah, my background was really bad. Yeah, but you, what are your choices? What could you do about it? What could you do to change? God has called you to have dominion. You were dealt a bad hand. You're in a difficult place. You've got difficulties going on. What are your options? One option, don't take it. The blame game. It's not my fault. If you play that game, you are rendered impotent and powerless. It may not be your fault, but if it's a problem in your way, as soon as you open your arms and say, I embrace this, I will find some creative ways through it, you are now rising up to be what God called you to be. And that's what we have to do. That's what God is calling us to do, to put our arms around situations, even if we didn't create them and say, yep, it's a mess, yep, it's bad, but I believe I'm here for such a time to change it. I can do something about that. 
And one of my daughters, Sarah, who's here, uh, she never found any boyfriend in the church. Man, she's married, she found outside the church. Because she never got into the blame game, I'm single because there's no men in the church. She just went out and got some. Everyone she went out and built a friendship with, she brought to church, got saved. Because that's what she's believing for, get them saved. Otherwise, you're playing the blame game. And you've only got to work out in a church of this 20 single young women and there's three young men, some single woman are going to stay single. Unless there's more men. Someone has to do something. Well, not my fault. But you can do something. Go talk to Sarah. How'd you do it? Everyone, every guy she befriended ended up in church and made a decision for Christ. And then she made a decision where she wanted to marry them. Bring them home to dad. What do you ring about this one? Nah. Bought another one. What do you ring about this one? Nah. Bought Andrew. What do you ring about this one? Oh, yeah. That one's a good one. Ah, he's the one. And he is. He was. He's a great young man. Now, come on now. There's no blame game here. No blame game. But Andrew had to deal with the blame game, didn't you? <laughs> Go ask him. You share your testimony. He had to deal with the blame game. And now he's dealt with it. His whole family's changed too. Come on now. This is, you've got to get out of the blame game. Deuteronomy 30 verse 19, it says, I set before you life and death. Choose life. Choose life that you and the next generation may live. So the choices you make are going to affect the next generation. Here it is in a nutshell. You always have a choice. It just may be not the one you wanted. Often, the choice available to us that we wanted, our preferred choice, isn't going to work or isn't available. Have to make another decision. You've got to learn to make different decisions. So what choices are available? We've always got a choice. Whatever I choose, there will be a consequence. So if you blame, that's a choice. You will then be a victim. We have to make choices and expect that God will act as we will make the decisions and be responsible. So here it is. Life isn't fair. How many thought life was, how many have said this? It's not fair. How many still think it's not fair? Well, wake up. The whole world's not fair. It's not fair. Good people get bad stuff. Bad people get good stuff. That's the world. It's not fair. It's not just. Heaven's a great place. It's fair in heaven and it's just in heaven. On here, on the earth, it's not fair. Face it. At some time, you're going to get a bad deal, and it's not fair. However, you have to stop living in a fuzzy unreality. You have to face this as life. Bad stuff happens. But God empowered me to reach into the bad stuff and make great choices that influenced it and made things better. That's how Jesus came. He said, listen... I didn't come here to be served. I didn't come with any expectation I'm coming into a great place. I knew I'm coming into a messed up world, and I came here with a heart to reach into it, make great decisions, bring the power of God into it, change it. That's what he did, and that's what we're called to be like him. Not complain how bad it is, but say, boy, aren't they all glad I'm here? God is with me. I can make a difference. God, show me some creative ways of making a difference. Well, one of, one of the most amazing things is this. Listen, who, who sinned? Was it God or man's sin? Let's get this clear. It was the man that sinned. Is that right? Who took the responsibility to fix it up? God did. Jesus came into the world 
to take on himself responsibility for the sin of every person. What an amazing thing. He came into the world, took responsibility for everyone's failure, took it to himself, took it in his heart, and he went to the cross, and in his heart he'd embraced the failures of it. They weren't his failures, by the way. He embraced their failures and said, I can do something to change it. He didn't come in and go back to the Father and say, Father, what this plan of me going into the earth was a bad plan. It was tough going. Right from the beginning they were trying to kill me. And then they were trying to kill me all the way through my ministry. And finally, they surrounded me, took me away, and put me up on a cross. We need to burn this place up. But God doesn't think like a victim. He thinks we together can make it change. And it still changes. For every person who received Jesus Christ, they're able to have a changed life. Jesus took responsibility for your sins. He only requires that you acknowledge them. And come to him and he'll forgive them. What a wonderful thing. When we close our eyes and bow our heads, wonder is there any person here today, and perhaps you have never experienced God's love and forgiveness. You are separated from God. You have no relationship with God. You may think you're a good person and you try to live a good life, but being a good person isn't enough. We need God to forgive our sins. You may be here and you've come to church or go to church regularly, but that's not enough either. We need to make a personal decision to receive Jesus Christ. He reached out to you that you could become a Christian. He reached out to you so you could have your sins forgiven. It just requires of you a decision. Don't blame your background. Don't blame your past. Don't blame someone else. Why don't you own up and say, There's a lot of things that have been wrong in my life and I'm willing to own it and acknowledge it. And I'm willing to ask Jesus Christ to take the responsibility for that failure and to make me clean. Is there any person here today who's willing to give their life to Jesus? Why don't you just raise your hand now? Just let me see your hand. Any person here today who says, I want to give my life to Jesus. I want to become a Christian. I want to have my sins forgiven. That's you here today. Why don't you raise your hand right now? I want to give my life to Jesus Christ. You know you're not walking with God. You know you need Christ. Why don't you just raise your hand now? Just let me know. I want to become a Christian. I want to give my life to Jesus Christ. Is anyone here today? I wonder how many people, just while we're sitting here, as I was speaking today, you just knew in your heart, man, I've been living this blame game. I've been blaming my husband, my wife, my kids, my dad, my mom, my background, my educational lack of it, uh, the workplace, uh, the boss, the country, the white people, the black people. I've been blaming. It doesn't matter what you've been blaming. Just remember, when you do it, it's a choice, and you end up powerless. If you felt God speak to you today to repent of the blame game, why don't you just raise your hand and say, that's me. God's speaking to me today. Many hands going up, hands going up. God bless you. Father, I just pray that you'd give grace to every person who's responded today to begin to make choices that are different, to break out of blame, and into taking positive action. Father, I pray that a creative uh, anointing would be upon us all to see ways through situations we haven't seen before instead of waiting for someone else to do it. Father, I pray initiative would begin to come upon people in the church in seeing problems to begin to ask you what they could do and how they could work and begin to think with you how they could work to change this. 
Father, I just pray that in these days ahead, church is going to arise out of this victim mentality, out of blame shifting, and into a place of being very, very proactive in solving problems in the community. Father, I pray for release of your anointing upon us right now. I feel the presence of God here, favor of God here. If you're sick in your body, just raise your hand. Someone next to you is just going to pray for you in a moment. If you're sick in your body, just raise your hand. Any person, someone's sick, there, keep your hand up there right now. Hands, 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 hands going up, hands going up. There we are. Now, look, just keep your hand up till someone comes to you. If you see someone with their hand up, could you just go over to them right now? And I want you to offer to pray for them. Just go to them right now, and we'll finish up now the service. Just go to them right now. Keep the hand up till someone's with you, ready to pray for you. Don't take your hand down until someone is there with you, ready to start praying. Still a hand up over here, hands up over there. Hands up over here. On the left. On the left side there, that's right. Still a hand up over there on the left. Could you go over there? Hand up down there. Just put your hand down once someone's with you. Well, let's just pray for those who are sick. Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we take dominion and authority over sickness, disease in Jesus' name. We break its power and release healing. We release salvation into the lives and hearts of people. Father, we pray right now in Jesus' name, every person who's sick here today, we pray healing. We speak and command sickness to go in Jesus' mighty name. We release the healing power of God. Tonight's meeting, we've got an extended worship. Do come along. We're going to have a wonderful time in the Holy Ghost tonight. If you're a visitor, come on upstairs and meet with us. Just those stairs on the right there. We've got a free cup of coffee upstairs for you. We won't try to get them to... Uh, God bless you. Have a fantastic day today. See so many of you here tonight for a wonderful time of worship. Take someone out the back for coffee. Get to know someone that you haven't met before.